and welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Sotak Andre, and you're listening to episode 27, which will be the second part of my discussion with Adam Tsur about the ketogenic diet. And this episode is all about body composition and fat loss. So if you have been curious about whether the ketogenic diet is efficient or effective for fat loss or whether it is more effective than a traditional higher carb diet, then this episode is for you. Now, before we get into it, I just want to plug a couple of things. First of all, if you're not following me on Instagram, once again, please do. I started doing Instagram TV videos, which are 10 minutes where I just sit and talk about a particular topic. So if you'd like to check those out, you can find them on my profile. If you'd like to suggest videos on topics uh, you'd like me to cover, then let me know, send me a message, and I can try to do that. I also post a ton of uh, informative or at least funny content. Um, I share a ton of uh, stories on my profile. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, then please check that out. Also, if you enjoy these episodes, then please help spread the word. Tag a friend, send it to someone, um, leave a review on iTunes, on Podbean, or wherever you're listening to these. And if you like my um, communication style, if you like my um, personality, and you think we would be a good fit for coaching, then you can check uh, out um, on my profile. I have a highlight with uh, client results and testimonials and that kind of stuff. So let me know if you would be interested in coaching. I have uh, spots available and summer is coming up. So if you would like to get leaner, get bigger, get more muscular, get stronger, that kind of stuff, then uh, get in contact and we can talk. So that would be my um, plug for this episode. Without further ado, uh, let's go into episode 27 of the Master Engineer Podcast with Adam Tsur. Adam Tsur, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, man. It's great to have you on again, and uh, I'm really looking forward to continuing our uh, journey in the ketogenic uh, universe. <laughs> yeah, I think last time was uh, we discussed a lot of interesting topics, and uh, I think uh, hopefully you know our uh, listeners learned a lot. I'm sure they did, and um, they will continue to do so with this episode. So in this one, we will mainly address. Um, the impact of a ketogenic diet on fat loss, body composition, and uh, some related topics. So I think the best place to start would be to address the most commonly found claim, I guess, when it comes to ketogenic diet, is that it's um, a hormonal-mediated effect, if I might call it that. So it mainly works by um, eliminating carbohydrates and thus reducing the insulin load of the diet and um, as such uh, causing fat loss and it probably is the minority of uh, those who uh, make such claims but still it's a very commonly found one so could you discuss first the or outline first the basics of energy balance and what we know about it and uh, how the ketogenic diet fits into that uh, whole construct whenever you eat you you take in food and your body uses the food as energy 
to drive its uh, activities. And whenever you use activities, you expend the energy. So you talk about energy in, food, and energy out, the energy you expend, not only doing uh, daily activities, but also, um, you know, exercise and even, you know, like mental activities and uh, anything that happens within your body expends energy. Now, there's no diet that can circumvent this type of this system because it's very complicated and it drives your body. It drives, uh, you know, for <laughs> for all organisms, uh, this applies. And um, you need to consume food and you need to expend the energy that you use, that you get in. So the ketogenic diet is um, is often said that you can, without... Uh, kind of outside of the calories in calories out system, you can, um, you have, the diet has like a metabolic advantage, meaning that you can lose more fat, even if you consume, for example, the same amount of calories. Um, now this this has some issues because it isn't really supported in any uh, literature, or well, except for one or two Volex studies where. Um, the participants ate more calories and still lost more fat than, you know, the control group. But these studies have a lot of issues and I wouldn't take them very seriously having analyzed them. Uh, you know, most like, I don't know, like 90% of the 80, 90% of the studies on keto comparing it to a control diet, there is no difference in fat burning as long as, you know, they eat the same amount of calories. So yeah, again, if you consume calories in, that's the same and you expend about the same amount of energy, then you're gonna burn the same amount of fat. Now, so the question is then, the question is like, what are you going to burn when you when you go on a weight loss diet? Because people say that, you know, losing weight is a good thing, right? You expend more energy than you're consuming which means that you will lose weight now you can lose that weight as fat or you can lose it as muscle mass for example or lean mass you can lose uh, water and glycogen so the thing is with the ketogenic diet is that you'll lose a lot of weight and it might seem like you're kind of you know uh, breaching the laws of physics because you're losing more weight than you would expect uh, with just uh, with your calorie with your calorie deficit. So calorie deficit is basically um, when you're eating less calories than you are burning. So you lose weight. You can also actually calculate how much weight people will lose when they um, eat a certain amount of calories. But with keto, you lose a lot of weight really quickly. So you think, holy shit, you know this this diet has some sort of metabolic advantage, for example. But actually, you're, um, the reason you're losing weight so quickly is because you're dropping a lot of water weight and you're losing uh, glycogen in the liver and in the muscles. So glycogen is basically the carbohydrate that is stored in your body. And your body uses this stored carbohydrate called glycogen. It uses it for energy. For Specifically, your body uh, runs on ATP. It's um, it's a molecule that your body uses. Uh, for example, when you exercise, you need to use ATP to fuel the muscle, and you can it it runs out very quickly. So you need to replenish it, and you can replenish it, you know, via, for example, the there are many different systems, but I will I'll just simplify it and say you can use uh, glycogen 
carbohydrates. You can even use fat um, to fuel your exercise. So the thing is, the body has like a natural hierarchy of these uh, of these kind of uh, ATP synthesis sources. Um, it wants to use uh, the the system that is quickest. Like if you're doing high intensity or explosive exercise, your body needs ATP quickly. So it so it will um, favor glycolysis or basically using the glycogen that's closest in your muscles to fuel the activity. You can use glycogen in your muscles or you can also use uh, fat, right? You can burn fat and that's one of the things that you often hear in the often you hear with the ketogenic diet is that it, it you become a fat burning machine, right? <laughs> so you oxidize more fat and because you know you eat a lot of fat and you deplete your glycogen stores, so the body is forced to use fat to fuel um, metabolism. So this isn't necessarily a good thing, right? Because there's a reason your body wants to use uh, glycogen and other systems that's kind of quicker. is because these systems, they give you the ATP that your muscles need during intensive exercise. They're given uh, ATP quickly, right? But fat is very slow. If you need to start oxidizing fat to fuel your exercise, you're going to have... Uh, it's it's low on the hierarchy, you know, like you typically use fat during daily activities or low intensity exercise. But once you start going into like uh, more intense exercise, uh, you need other systems. Now, the thing is, when you remove glycogen or you remove, you start eating less carbs, um, you don't have these systems as readily available. And... Um, you, you might run into issues with high-intensity performance. Yeah, and um, like you said, uh, Volek has had some interesting studies and essentially all of the research that has been uh, pro-keto or has shown a big uh, superiority of uh, the ketogenic diet has been um, conducted by those researchers that... Um, and we have uh, briefly touched on this during our last conversation that... Uh, by those researchers that have some um, potential biases or um, connections or personal interest uh, in producing these results. Um, And, uh, (laughs) for example, that last uh, uh, Wilson um, ketogenic study (laughs) where they they, uh, carved up people and then showed it as uh, lean mass gains. Look how much muscle you gained on a ketogenic diet and similar um, wizardry or magic tricks to show more uh, lean mass, which I guess is the exact opposite of what happens during fat loss, because, again, you, um, <laughs> as you eliminate carbs, you lose a ton of water, and like you said, oh, wow, look how much weight I've lost, which is, I guess, great, but <laughs> I can also lose a, a lot of weight in, like, 50 minutes in the bathroom, but I don't think that's uh, <laughs> really relevant for uh, what we are looking for here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's... Uh, I think generally looking at weight is not a very good idea to go to gauge your progress. Uh, you want to look at... Um, well, ideally, you'd have some sort of measurement like DEXA or ultrasound or, you know, to, to measure the size of your muscles and your lean body mass. But even that is affected by by water weight so there isn't really a there isn't actually one method that's really good at measuring exactly how much muscle mass you lost or uh, fat mass because it's all affected by 
how hydrated your body your body is but that's kind of another topic that i won't go too much into so i think the biggest one of the biggest um, misconceptions when it comes to ketogenic diet and uh, fat burning like you said is this uh, notion that um, by going on a ketogenic diet you will now become like you said a fat burning machine and all you're doing is burning fat which is true in a sense since um when you are eating like 70-80% of your calories from fats, guess what your body is going to burn off? That fat you just ate. But there's a big difference between eating uh, or burning dietary fat um, from that peanut butter you had and burning off the fat around your midsection or love handlers or whatever the area you want to um, um, slim um, that... Um, whatever that area you want to lose fat from. So um, I think we should clarify this notion of um, fat, ad- fat adaptation and exactly how long does it take because it seems to me that um, uh, whatever the last study, uh, whatever the duration the last study used, the keto proponents always want uh, um, a couple of weeks longer duration so if it was six weeks then they want eight weeks when it was eight weeks then they want ten if it was six months then they want seven months so it seems to me that this uh, fat adaptation period um, it's a, m- a constantly goofy, moving goalpost and um, <laughs> unless we have a study where people are in, kept in a metabolic ward for like a, two years then uh, even then, I'm sure some people would find some reason to to um, knock off that study or uh, to dismiss it. So what does it uh, mean to be fat-adapted and how long does it really take to get into that state? That's a, a good question. And actually, it's a very difficult answer because, you know, people mean different things when they say fat-adapted. So I think you can make a distinction between keto adapt- adaptation and fat adaptation. For example, you can be fat adapted um, and not be keto, right? Um, so just uh, to clarify, uh, with keto adaptation, you you enter ketosis in a couple of days on the ketogenic diet. But still, with keto adaptation, people talk about like, well, exercise performance drops pretty you know, strongly during the first weeks and even months of the diet. You would expect uh, to perform worse with exercise because... <clears throat> primarily you have the um, glucose or I mean uh, the muscle glycogen drops and you become uh, easily more dehydrated unless you consume a lot more salt and so on um, but anyways you're, since your glycogen drops you will um, it re- eliminates enough fuel source for your muscles right and then it will be harder for you to do a high intensity exercise or even a- aerobic or anaerobic exercise in general everything becomes more difficult and we see this in the side effects you know in so many studies they also report side effects of the ketogenic diet and then people one of the side effects is that is fatigue particularly during the first months of the diet people feel more fatigued on the ketogenic diet than on uh, alternative diets Uh, so that's another article that we're going to be publishing in the future and i think it's really cool but I won't go into all the side effects here, but uh, fatigue is a major one. So keto adaptation, it's kind of hard to define exactly what it means. If you're talking about ketosis, it's a couple of days. If you're talking about exercise performance, we're talking 
you know, several months maybe. Um, and um, for fat adaptation, like I read a bit online, you know, what people, what they mean when they say fat adaptation. And I found some websites, they generally say that it's about when your body starts using fat for fuel primarily. Now, um, that's not, as we talked about earlier, the fat, using fat as a fuel source is actually very, it's a very slow fuel source. So it's for exercise. So it isn't necessarily better to be fat adapted. It's just different. Your body does it, like it wants to use uh, glycogen and carbohydrates before it wants to use fats. So um, it's actually just you just remove other fuel sources and then it's forced to use what it has, which is fat. So your fat oxidation, uh, you will burn much more fat uh, on the ketogenic diet. But the thing is, uh, it won't necessarily be body fat. You'll just you'll be eating more fat. Therefore, you will also burn the you'll burn the fuel source that's available, right? And uh, there's nothing that's not necessarily. It's often procla- proclaimed to be like the like the ultimate goal, or like it's amazing that you become a fat burning machine. But it's for like exercise performance. It's not necessarily a good thing at all. Like we. We published our article on this, the, um, how ketogenic diets affects uh, aerobic and anaerobic performance and strength and so on. And um, so there aren't like a ton of studies on strength that are very good. But um, in general, you see a slight trend that you can gain similar amounts of strength, but you also feel more fatigued. And in some studies, they people gain less strength on the ketogenic diet and uh, for anaerobic performance, also you see a drop in anaerobic performance, like sprints and so on. And aerobic performance, the literature is kind of mixed. Some studies show no difference, and some studies show that even even aerobic performance drops. Um, now, I should also say that most of these studies are like less than 12 weeks. So again, it is possible that if you, you conducted these studies for like... Uh, like four or five months then maybe you'd get different results but that's like speculation on my part yeah definitely i think a big um disconnect is uh like i said what happens in the lab versus what happens in real life because um when we look at um control settings um for example there was that um kevin horse study which was i think two months long or something like that and um I think after seven days, they are. Um, I think they either measure ketone levels or fat oxidation rates, something like that. And after seven days, it kind of plateaued. So plateaued, plateaued. However <laughs> you pronounce that. So um, essentially, after seven days, they have become already um, fat adapted. So it's not like you need six months to get into that state, um, <laughs> like some people claim. And honestly, to me. Let's say you did actually, you would have needed six months to whatever or however long they claim to get into the state. Like how healthy can a diet be if your body needs several months of adjustment period to <laughs> to uh, make that work and function somehow on it? If you, I mean, I would imagine that that wouldn't be something that you would want. Um, that would be like putting a, 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 some sort of fuel in your car and instead of being able to run the engine there and then, 
you would need like uh, leave the car in the garage for like a, a week <laughs> so the so the engines gets used to that fuel it's just that doesn't make really much sense to me yeah i mean i guess you can we can question people's motivations for it there are certainly certainly some benefits like we talked about uh, or uh, I, um, I at least i published the article on it um, the hunger reduction for example so i guess there are there are different benefits and but i certainly i would be careful you know when we're talking about like athletic performance uh, and like you say it doesn't take it, it doesn't take a long time for the body to to start using other or to start using certain fuel sources i mean you're even it's it's not like when you become fat adapted it's not like you're not burning fat at all and then you start burning fat you know we all we're all fat adapted so i guess i the, the term is kind of also a little bit annoying to me because it implies that the body somehow is uh, not fat adapted before or uh, i don't know what that means like we're all we're all using fats uh, you know you have you can talk about like net fat balance throughout the day you have uh, you sometimes you might need to use uh, body fat and sometimes you don't and it depends on what activity you're doing and how long it's been since your last meal and you know what what were the contents of the meal and um, so uh, i mean it's a very complicated topic and i'm uh, you know, but you can you can go really in depth, and I haven't gone like so super in depth about like all the different mechanisms and how long it takes to you know like um, recover like uh, exercise capacity. But it's it's like certainly possible that it can happen, that it can be a while because you know some studies suggest that glycogen even though it drops in the beginning of the diet, you know, that's the main reason for the performance loss, then over like several months, it will slowly build up again, the glycogen stores, and then you can start utilizing that uh, during exercise. So, you know, it's possible. That's one mechanism, you know, for the fat adaptation. I wouldn't even call that fat adaptation. I would rather call that like keto adaptation or something like that. Very interesting. And to me, again, that seems like another reason to keep carbs in because imagine all you're trying to do is essentially get rid of the the glycogen and the glucose and all that and so yeah so you can burn all all fat which uh we can address later if that's a good idea at all but um after after a couple of months like you said your body then somehow somehow coins enough uh, or pours from different sources enough glucose so it can create some sort of glycogen reserves again like why why on earth not just keep that in the first place there instead of being being um uh, or instead of forcing your body to resort to these um, uh, rather extreme measures because uh, i would imagine that would come from protein and somehow converting uh, protein into uh, glucose although i've seen some research that supposedly you can convert fatty acids too into glycogen i mean there's, there's a pathway so it can theoretically happen yeah there are many pathways that are available and they're not there's some you know they're not often used <laughs> they're like some of them are like only used in kind of emergency scenarios and um, protein is one of those you can you can even burn protein for fuel during exercise but it's so it's rare and it's only when you don't have any other options and i don't know again i don't know if that would be a good idea at all because each macronutrient has its role and protein is it has other um, other roles instead of being a fuel source. 
but um, you said Bruce that you're not sure how or what the goal is or uh, from what I've seen the most common uh, goal or definition of fat adapted is uh, burning body fat solely or at least mostly and um, I'm not sure if that would be like you said it, it's not really a good idea because you lose performance potentially and um, you also become very uh, metabolically inflexible which I find it funny because some people mention oh on a kinergic diet you become you become this great um, you have this great metabolic flexibility which you don't by definition because um, if you say you have become fat adapted then by definition you are not metabolically flexible because then you're <laughs> relying only on uh, fat to fuel your uh, your activities overall and um, I don't know if that's a good idea for health long term but for fat loss, um, what does the research say uh, at this point? Uh, even if you become uh, fat adapted, does that have a preferential impact on fat loss when equating for overall calorie and protein intake? Um, not really. There's <clears throat> as low as we talked about earlier. You know, the energy balance is the that's the main that's the thing that can predict how much uh, weight you're going to lose or fat you're going to lose. Uh, if you're doing strength training and you're eating a high-protein diet, then you will burn primarily fat when you are in a, eating in a caloric deficit, when you're trying to lose weight, when you're on a weight loss diet. And there is no, there's, again, ex- with the, uh, you know, some strange exceptions, most of the literature suggests that the ketogenic diet is as effective as other diets for burning body fat over the long term even though you are fat adapted. <clears throat> and this is actually pretty clear, like in the literature, as we can, uh, for uh, you know our listeners, you can check out the part one of our ketogenic diet series, where we look at like all the, all the fat loss studies for keto versus alternative diets. And in the studies where keto burns more fat, um, you know, the it's typically because the, the ketogenic diet are either consuming less calories or more protein, and protein is you know a very satiating macronutrient, and it's um, it has effects on energy expenditure and stuff like that. So you know, if you if you don't match protein between the diets, then you know the diet with more protein is more likely to adhere better and you know expend more energy and uh, lose more fat and gain more muscle mass. So yeah, but in general, I think that you know the ketogenic diet is certainly a good. Uh, it's a good alternative. It's not bad at all. We can get into that later if you want to. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Is that it's it's effective for fat loss, but by no means more effective than other diets. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, I would probably like the listeners to direct towards the. Uh, recent meta-analysis that Kevin Hall has um, published. In that particular meta-analysis, I, so essentially they looked at all of the metabolic, metabolic war studies, so essentially all the studies where the subjects have been living in uh, controlled conditions, and I think it was 32 studies overall, and uh, all of them were calorie and protein equated, and there was no difference between a high-carb or a high-fat um macronutrient distribution so that's certainly the most rigorous uh, setup you can imagine if you wanted to compare um, 
the physiological effects. So I guess <laughs> debating it at this point is kind of futile, but some people um, could and justifiably respond with um, the criticism that, well, that's nice and in theory it probably works, but uh, in practice, when people are in a free living condition, the ketogenic diet might still be um, superior because it has a more pronounced effect on appetite suppression and via that mechanism, even though theoretically you could uh, lose the same amount of body fat if you had the same amount of calories, in practice it might be just uh, easier to control your uh, calories by following a ketogenic diet and uh, as such you would achieve uh, better results long term. Um, in your, um, I don't want to call research because people use this term, I did my research and what they mean is they um, they uh, did some digging. So in your, uh, in your uh, investigation of the literature, what did you find? Is that uh, the case that uh, ketogenic diets have a more pronounced appetite suppression effect and could they lead to a better adherence rate uh, in real life uh, scenario? And if so, is that due to elevated ketone levels or some other factor? That's very interesting. And that's actually what we're doing. Um, our next, uh, we're writing a seven-part series on the ketogenic diet. And part four, the part which is coming up, is about adherence to the diet. <clears throat> but first, to to answer the metabolic ward and free-living thing. So in a metabolic ward, people are placed, for example, in a hospital, they're, they're placed in like a building you know, with um, where everything they do is controlled, you know, their energy expenditure, how much they eat, you know, and, you know, in many cases, they're not even, they're not allowed to do much, you know, they're just, you know, chilling around, sitting around and, you know, watching television, eating, maybe doing exercise if that's part of the study, but their lives are very limited and it's not, it doesn't match real life conditions at all, but it's, it's mostly to test out certain concepts. If you want to test, you know, the calorie in calorie out concept, then you need to use a well a metabolic ward. In a free living condition, you know, you're basically you're living at home, you're doing you're doing what you want to and you're maybe reporting to the scientists, you're reporting, you know, every uh, couple of weeks you're reporting what you've been eating <clears throat> and uh, you know what type of activity you've been doing. So in some cases the food is delivered, you know, you know, on a weekly basis, they're deliver, they deliver food to the subjects so they know what they're eating. But even then, it's not like a perfect control because the subjects could still be eating, you know, food outside of uh, what they're supposed to be eating. So you don't know for sure. But it's still, it's better for, um, for something called ecological val validity. Uh, ecological validity means that you're... Um, it's when a t study is testing something that's very life uh, related to real life, how people act in real life. So when people are living freely, it's like real life. And that's actually a very good thing because then you can see what the strengths and weaknesses are of the diet. So on the ketogenic diet, one of the strengths of when you're in a free living condition, condition is that you eat more protein naturally. And so people naturally eat less calories overall and they naturally eat less protein and more protein. So uh, also in our hunger review, we found that people feel less hungry on the ketogenic diet. 
So this is actually something that occurs naturally. You know, people are not forced to eat less. They just naturally do it when they're put on a ketogenic diet. Uh, and this is actually a very, this is actually a very strong benefit of the diet. Now, so the question is, how will this, you know, will people feel? Uh, will they adhere better to the diet in the long term because of this? And that's what we're working on right now. Uh, we're we're analyzing, you know, we're extracting data from over 200 keto studies to see how <clears throat> how people adhere to the diet over the long term compared to other diets. And, you know, what I can say now is just that in general, all types of diets, people adhere poorly to all types of diets, you know, uh, even low fat, high fat, whatever it is, over three to five years, most people regain the weight that they lost. So that's actually a big challenge is getting people to adhere to a diet not just for one year or two years, but like for the rest of their lives or like for 10 years, 20 years, you know, stuff like that. We will revisit that uh, uh, question when uh, you've done your uh, uh, digging and um, walkthrough uh, on the literature and uh, we will see what you uh, conclude from that work. An article that you already published was the impact of the ketogenic diet on uh, exercise performance and uh, body composition and uh, muscle retention and all that. So I assume that I won't have too many uh, marathon runner listeners. So uh, <laughs> when it comes to uh, actual lifting performance um, and engaging in resistance training with uh, moderate to high volume, so doing uh, uh, plenty of challenging sets in uh, 8 to 15 rep range, something like that. So when it comes to that kind of performance, how does the ketogenic diet um, compare to a more traditional, uh, higher carb, moderate um, or even low fat diet? And uh, how does that impact uh, muscle retention during the fat loss diet long term? So with a ketogenic diet, you're eliminating carbohydrates and carbohydrates is the main fuel source for, you know, uh, strength training. When you do that, everything will become more difficult. And we see that in many studies that people feel um, a side effect of the ketogenic diet. I feel fatigue and muscular weakness during the first months of the diet. And we also see that even though they can increase their one rep max <clears throat> to the same extent as uh, other diets in some studies, there are also many studies where they have problems uh, increasing their strength to the same extent as the control group. So it it just goes, it makes sense that the ketogenic diet is not very, <clears throat> it's not a good choice for high volume resistance training. So for, for muscle retention, you know, we see that since muscle is water and glycogen to a large, to a large extent, you know, you lose a lot of uh, muscle, uh, you lose a lot of glycogen and water on the ketogenic diet because it's low carb. So it flushes out uh, these things. And this actually affects how large your muscle looks because when you when you deplete your muscle of uh, glycogen and some water, it looks smaller because there's less volume in the muscle. This also affects m muscle measurements or muscle estimations like, you know, DEXA scans. They will see that your lean body mass drops on the ketogenic diet. So you might think that, okay, so here you're, lo you're losing muscle mass on the ketogenic diet, but that's not entirely true because of a limitation here in the measurement tool is <clears throat> is because muscle is to a large extent water and glycogen. And, you know, these things will come back quickly, like in the Wilson study, 
you know, if you drop, <clears throat> if you deplete glycogen or water, and then you do like a refeed with a ton of carbs, your body will supercompensate and you will have a ton of uh, glycogen and water quickly in your muscles again. So um, it's hard to say whether keto will lead to like less muscle hypertrophy or whether it will you'll lose muscle mass. I would say that may- maybe the risk is slightly higher, but we don't have like hard data that you will lose more your more muscle mass in the ketogenic diet. Um, it's it's an it's an okay choice for strength training. I mean, it's not like you know maybe sprinting or you know intense cycling. It would be worse for that. For resistance training, it's like us. It's uh, it's an okay choice, but you, we see that we see some performance reduction, uh, even though we don't have enough studies on it yet. It would make sense, and um, as always, it's very contextual to what uh, a given individual wants. But certainly, it's um, for someone who is looking just to become healthier and fitter and uh, lose a bit of body fat and gain some muscle. I'm sure that uh, it can work just fine. It's probably the people who are aspiring bodybuilders or want to excel at bodybuilding or want to maximize their progress and all that. And um, maybe they are doing very high volume lifting um, almost daily. Um, probably in that scenario, then it uh, it wouldn't be the best uh, idea. I should I just want to clarify one thing that it depends on your which type of strength training you do. So uh, I don't want to get like too much into the different, uh, you know, energy systems of the body. But if you're doing like very high, like high power, uh, very short exercise, like, you know, if you're, if your sets on strength training are like less than 10 seconds, uh, maybe it matters less because then you have other systems like, um, uh, you know, like the alactacid system that, um, that can refuel your energy between sets, if your sets are very short and you do few reps. So maybe I can hypothesize that the ketogenic diet won't be as bad for that. But when it comes to like sets that last, I don't know, like let's say you do 10 reps and every reps is like uh, two seconds, for example, uh, then it might become a little bit worse. And especially if you're doing short rests or you're doing supersets or you're doing like continuous continuous strength training then i think you would see or i can hypothesize that maybe the maybe the performance decrease will be worse than if it's just very short but i mean even that there is some contra- there's some contradictory evidence because you have with crossfit uh, exercise there are several crossfit studies on the ketogenic diet and um, in some of the studies the their time you know their what's it called the round time or they're the, the, in CrossFit you have like a round time or you have like a time to finish that was actually um, improved um, pretty dramatically on the ketogenic diet. We don't know if it's because of the weight loss. Um, anyways, I just want to say that the literature is kind of mixed and there's no like there's no certainty that strength will, will drop. You know, and in CrossFit, we see actually pretty good results. Interesting. I mean, it would make sense that for something like powerlifting, where you're doing three reps and resting for five minutes, <laughs> it wouldn't be a big difference. But for bodybuilding work, and I, th- I think um, at least 10 controlled reps would last longer than 20 seconds. That's probably more like 30 to 40 seconds, something like that. 
and if you were to do repeated bouts um, with maybe two minute rests, then yeah, it could it could impact um, performance and subsequently muscle retention. But again, the magnitude it's not that big of a difference for most. I mean, I, I don't think it would be something that most people would notice. Oh my god, um, um, I would have been so much bigger if if only I had kept carbs in during this fat loss <laughs> i think it's the extremes where this thing really shines and yeah in the extremes yeah for bodybuilders i think it would it would not make a lot of sense to go keto so i think like we talked about yeah one reason is because your muscles become they look smaller because you drop glycogen and water so that's you know bodybuilders want big muscles and li- like you said you know your workouts depending on how you do your workouts and how many reps you do and the rest between sets uh, your the ketogenic diet might impair that performance. So if you're doing like a bodybuilder style style workout, I can at least hypothesize that it will be worse. Even though there aren't really studies on bodybuilders, and most of the studies are on typically on untrained people, and uh, the, the the exercise, you know, the strength training program isn't super challenging. Like they might do some sets and some exercises, but it's we don't have a ton of data on trained individuals on real programs, so it's hard to say there. Yeah, probably because bodybuilders are, <laughs> they wouldn't give up uh, 12 weeks of their training to just do some random bullshit and give up on their favorite diet, try out something that may or may not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So from what we gathered here, the ketogenic diet is um, mostly as good as a regular diet, um, but... Uh, the data just doesn't seem to support the notion that it's uh, exponentially better, or at least somewhat better. From what I gathered here, it's uh, at best an equivalent uh, choice, and uh, the use should be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. I guess that's the <laughs> that's the best uh, suggestion when it comes to any diet, really. So if someone is listening and they are not sure if the ketogenic diet would be a good suit for them, what are the scenarios where you would recommend the ketogenic diet, uh, ex- excluding, of course, uh, medical or clinical cases? So we're talking here about uh, regular healthy people looking to improve their health and body composition. Like we already said, for atle- athletic performance, I don't think the diet. It should be one should be very careful with the diets if they're on if they're trying to be maximize their athletic performance. But there are certainly scenarios where it could be helpful. Like, um, for people that are overweight, if you want, um, if you like that type of diet where you can eat a lot of fat, and then, then certainly it can be a very good choice because you will naturally, like I said earlier, you will naturally eat less calories. You will, you don't have to think about restricting calories. You just, you go on keto, you naturally eat more protein, you naturally eat more fat and less carbs. And you, uh, what happens is that you naturally eat less calories overall, and you na- will also feel less hungry. At least from most, this is what most of the studies suggest. So this is actually a huge benefit for the diet that I haven't seen in other diets to the same extent. Um, so for people that are either you know obese or struggling with hunger, struggling with eating less uh, calories, or they're just annoyed with calorie counting because, you know, I've done calorie counting myself and I do it to some extent. Now I'm just more doing it more intuitively. I know about, like, I can estimate how much I'm eating on a day-to-day basis. 
but I don't, I can't be bothered like counting every calorie anymore. So for people who don't want to do that, the ketogenic diet is very good because you don't have to count calories, you just naturally eat less. And so other benefits, I think, well, that's the diet is simple. The diet is very simple. Uh, that can be a plus and a minus. For example, a minus is that you will maybe if be tired of eating bacon all the time. I mean, I, I guess I, that, that sounds like an oxymoron, or it just sounds uh, completely strange that you'll get tired. But like personally, I've tried paleo, low-carb paleo, and that I ate like 70 grams of carbs a day, I think. You know, I was just tired of eating bacon every day. You know, you have to think about when you choose a diet, it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm doing this diet for this month or this year. It should be like, you know, how can I do this in the long term? For next part of our ketogenic diet series, we're going to answer if you can stick to the diet over the long term. Thank you for that. Speaking of bacon and food choices, if someone decides to bark on this uh, ketogenic diet um, journey, how should they uh, formulate their diet or how should their diet look like? Maybe macronutrient ratio wise first, and then uh, from a food choice point of view, what would the most recommended uh, food choices be? There isn't really one ideal ratio or something like that for the ketogenic diet. So uh, it's it's still a good question though, because you know it's something important to keep uh, for for people who want to track macros. Uh, it's definitely a good idea to eat less than sixty grams of carbs. Um, or even less than 50 grams. But you can be in ketosis, like, you'll often hear that you need to be, you maybe need to eat less than 20 grams or 50 grams of carbs to be in ketosis. We have studies, people eating 80 grams of carbs being in ketosis. So I think um, you can aim for like 60 grams or less of carbs and be safe for most people. In terms of fat, I mean, this should be like, to some extent, I think ad libitum will fix this you will naturally just eat a lot of fat. I don't think you need to aim for a certain ratio or um, or grams. For protein, I mean, it's the typical recommendation. Like if you're doing strength training and you want to maximize um, muscle retention and hypertrophy, you should eat like 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilo body weight uh, protein. So if, you're, if we stick with the 2 grams per kilogram, of uh, two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, then if you're 80 grams or 80 kilograms body weight, you should eat 160 grams of protein. Um, but again, like if your goal is not strength training and muscle retention and stuff, there's no reason why you should specifically aim for this number. It's just since the diet is so, it's kind of good at making. It formulates itself, if you know what I mean. Like when you, like I said earlier, you will naturally eat more protein, and naturally eat less carbs, and naturally eat more fat. So I think the main goal of the diet should be to should the main focus should be to restrict certain foods. Uh, it should be to restrict like carby foods, like or any drink, any like so, basically any candy, any candy with like you know sugar or carbs in it. Uh, is basically off off limits any sugary drink you know juice soda you have to eliminate that cakes you know pastry uh, grains have to be limited to to a big extent so it's primarily you're eating like meats vegetables maybe a little bit of fruit uh, like that's what the diet is I mean you can find all sorts of guides on you know online you know what foods you should restrict but generally foods with carbs you need to restrict and everything else should fall in place but if you want to be sure you should also eat 
uh, focus on getting as much protein as you can via eating, you know, like chicken, beef, you know, these types of foods. Okay, that should give a good idea for people who are interested in it. So speaking of beef and uh, chicken and all that, I wanted to find out your thoughts on the carnivore diet um, popularity rise in the recent uh, uh, months due to, I guess, mostly to Sean Baker and his appearances on numerous uh, popular podcasts. And I have done a recent podcast with Burger Fagelli on, on this topic. But I'm curious... Um, if you, since you were also Scandinavian like him, if you have uh, experimented with uh, this in the past and uh, maybe if you would be interested in trying out something like that, in your opinion, how would this compare to something like a traditional ketogenic diet? Because Berger, for example, said that he has tried uh, ketogenic diets in the past. And I assume what he meant by that was that he ate... Uh, various foods and probably had veggies and all that and he he said he felt miserable but when he switched to carnivore diets essentially only eating meat and uh, making soups and these um, stews and all that he felt much much better that's yeah so i wanted to say that for the carnivore diet i think that any diet for me is interesting just in terms of a scientific perspective I just think that any diet is interesting and, for, you know, in the future we're going to do a series on intermittent fasting and, you know, look at different diets. So it's all very interesting. But in terms of like, for me, if I want when I choose a diet, it needs to be, there needs to be like a good rationale for it. So I'm thinking like, for me, what's the rationale for like choosing the carnivore diet? Uh, well, it's very simple. You get a ton of protein without trying. Uh, if you eat like livers and uh, various organs, you can get enough micronutrients. So that's kind of cool. But I'm still tr struggling to find like, what is this diet going to give me that other diets can't? Like, is it going to improve my exercise performance, for example? Well, you're eating no carbs, so you're going to be <laughs> even more fat dependent than the ketogenic diet. So I would um, at least suspect that your performance would drop pretty strongly. <laughs> I mean, if the, if the ketogenic diet is any sort of guidance, then the carnivore diet should lead to an even greater performance reduction, at least in strength training and high-intensity training. So, okay, it's probably not a good idea for exercise. Now, for fat loss, well, the principles of calories in, calories out still apply. So maybe it will help with adherence. Um, but there are some arguments against that. For example, well, um, any diet that is very, very uh, reductive and very si simple, it's maybe easier to stick to in the beginning. But like over time, like, can you eat this diet for like one, two, three, four, five years? Um just eat meat like think about all the holidays all the birthdays every time you go out with your friends it's like hey you want to grab an ice cream oh sorry i can only eat meat you know like <laughs> it's uh uh it sounds to me a little bit absurd like maybe for some people you know for some people it might be amazing and it might be the diet that fixes everything for them however i would be very careful about micronutrient deficiencies and also, you know, you have something called phytonutrients or phytochemicals. It's different uh, nutrients that are in plants primarily, right? So it's hard to get that just from meat. And you're not getting those. And I'm not talking about like minerals and vitamins. I'm talking about phytonutrients. It's not the same thing. And it's, it's something that you don't necessarily have an RDA for. 
like a recommended daily intake, but it's still important to get things like flavonoids and cartonoids and all these different uh, phytonutrients that are in plants. So you're that's that's a negative of the diet that you're it's. I would be afraid of getting like micronutrient deficiencies if you're not very careful. Uh, and also I would be worried about like um, the, how it would work in the long term. But I think Berg has said that it might be something, even if you're not on it permanently, it might be something you want to try just for like a cyclical, like, like you might try it for like a couple of months, if I'm not mistaken. And then you switch to back to another diet again. So, I mean, I don't know, like, my, I always follow the scientific evidence on this, like, I'm not too interested in anecdotal experiences, because for any diet, you can find anecdotes of people saying that the diet changed their life, and that it's amazing. That's not too interesting for me, I'm interested in the, in the research, and as far as I know, there isn't a ton of research on eating only meats, and the carnivore diet, not that I know of, at least, so, I don't know, maybe it has some benefits that I don't know of. But I can't think of any, you know, other diets are so good, <laughs> you know, you know, like a high carb, high protein diet is so good for exercise performance. And if you restrict calories, you could lose fat on it. I just can't see the, the appeal of the carnivore diet. Interesting perspective. I actually have a bit of a different phone on it, but... Um... To, to answer what you um, what your worries were yeah um Berger said that he he looked up the micronutrients he would get from from this diet and he said that pretty much everything was covered by eating meat and especially if you eat organ meats like you said yourself and of course the phytonutrients that's that's definitely you won't get uh, those plant-based uh, uh, compounds <laughs> from meat and I guess that's that is a legit uh, concern this is definitely not something or at least not for everyone not for most people who try it they I don't think they try it with the purpose of uh, adhering to it years and years or even though there are um, Berger said that there are some groups with people who um, tweet thousands ten thousands of people who are doing this long term and I guess good for them um, but to me, it's much more interesting in the in the short term because Berger said that uh, for people who have some sort of uh, GI issues or digestive problems, this seems to be um, a good tool to utilize at least for a couple of months. And um, even though you you might return to your previous diet, um, he he has um, seen that uh, many people seem to. Uh, respond better to the foods that previously couldn't uh, tolerate they seem to be able to digest it more efficiently and don't have as much bloating and gas and all that so it's um i i find it you know um i don't want to name the group but i did post the the episode with Berge in a particular science-based group and i received a very similar answer to what you outlined there that well if there is no research we're not interested and i guess that's fine if you want to be a scientist but if we're talking about real people here um and i i myself i am working with real people and coaches who are perhaps listening then it doesn't really matter if there is research or not if someone feels good on whatever diet that is irrelevant if it's the carnivore diet or not then if it works it works and 
<laughs> for for someone who is not a scientist, it doesn't really matter why. All it matters is that you're feeling good and you're energized and all that. So I I won't try it personally, or at least I won't do it long term. Might try it for a couple of months just out of curiosity, but simply from a, a tool in the toolbox perspective, it's I wouldn't dismiss it completely and. Um, and I honestly don't like the whole. Well, if you can't stick to it long term, then then you shouldn't even bother with it. I I don't think that uh, a diet has to be sustainable, or it if it or I don't like. I don't think that a diet only has merit if it can be sustained long term. Um, that's like saying that a training plan only has merit if you are going to do it for ten years. I mean, why not? You can do this for a couple of months and then go back to normal or go back to different one and i think the same can be applied to the ketogenic diet just to just to come back to our uh, our main topic here it might be that uh, yes in the long term you might not uh, benefit from <laughs> reducing your carbs to zero or um, just eating these particular foods but in the short term especially if someone is very overweight or has had some blood glucose control issues or has had, I don't know, craving issues or any of that stuff, it might be that uh, doing a couple of months of this uh, particular diet might help them, even though um, long-term they they can't see themselves sticking to it. Again, it's just a tool in the toolbox and uh, it's, it's tough to recommend something when you're talking <laughs> to a general audience since uh, that's very different um than working with someone in a one-to-one uh, relationship and uh, uh, offering them guidance and perhaps suggestions on how to transition into this i think that's where the big uh, issue is or the big disconnect is people don't have tools or don't have the framework or the concepts to effectively transition into this extreme into a more balanced one because and I think that's one of the biggest issues why fat loss diets, like you said, fail most of the time. Is people don't have, they don't think what they are going to do after this uh, this fat loss diet is is done, because obviously you can't just keep uh, eating in a deficit long term, because otherwise you will starve yourself to that, and your body won't let you do that anyway. I mean, I think you brought up a lot of interesting points on that. Uh, uh, I can't remember all of them as. Uh... I'm talking right now, but I think you covered that. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that a diet doesn't have to be applicable only for the long term. And I actually I can kind of agree with that, that you can kind of maybe use a diet as kind of like a transitionary thing. Like you do, for example, carnivore for three months and then you transition to something else. I would say that that might be a viable strategy. Uh, for example, I know of studies where they've started with keto and then they have eventually... For example, this is typical Atkins. You start with keto, low carb, and then you gradually increase carbs over time until until you find a point which is sustainable for you. So this might be something like the the carnivore diet or keto where you you start very kind of extreme and then maybe you find something that's kind of like not quite your old diet, but it's kind of like a middle of the road. Um, so certainly it can be helpful in that regard. Um, because I think that, you know, extreme diets, they might be different or difficult to maintain in the long term, but they can be like a helping, helpful stepping block until leading you until a diet that is sustainable. Because I think it, I think for the long term, something needs to change. Like if you're overweight and you need to, and you want to be less, uh, you know, normal weight, then you need to find something that you can change in the long term. Because if you just 
go back to your old diet again, then you'll eventually regain your old weight and uh, you kind of lose your progress. Uh, I also wanted to add like a kind of like a medical disclaimer that if you're on diabetes medication or anything that affects blood glucose and stuff like that, then you need to be careful with the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet. Uh, any strong reduction in in carbs can actually be uh, harmful to you. you and in, you know, in several studies, they had to, with the follow-up of a doctor, they had to reduce or eliminate diabetes medication like metformin because they didn't need it anymore after a couple of weeks or months on the ketogenic diet, which is actually a cool benefit. But this isn't like a, a recommendation. It's more like a warning that you, when you go on these diets, you need a medical follow-up, at least if you're on a medication. Thanks again, Adam, for uh, giving up your time to do this. It was a pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to continuing our conversation. Sure thing, man. Thanks for having me. All right, so that was episode 27 of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Adam Tsior. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you find it valuable, and you were able to take something away from it. Now, as usual, I will end the episode with my own top three takeaways because I honestly don't like to have episodes that are just theoretical and they provide nothing useful and of value. So that's why I try to summarize these episodes in these um, couple uh, brief take-home points. So if nothing else, you can at least uh, take these um, insights or key ideas and at least try to implement those or give you something to think about um, and down the line uh, extract something valuable out of them. So my first takeaway is around the importance of energy balance and the fact that it is king and it is absolutely just a fact of physics no matter how much Gary Taubes wants to argue about it and if you don't get the reference then no worries if you do then you can check out my Instagram profile. I did a 10-minute uh, Instagram TV video about what I thought um, about the debate between him and Stefan Gini. But anyway, so energy balance is king. Calories are the absolute uh, most important variable and the regulator of uh, body fatness. And doesn't matter if you are into ke- in ketosis or not. It doesn't matter if you eat high carb or low carb or high fat or low fat. There isn't any diet that can allow you to eat infinite amounts of calories and there isn't um, any macronutrient setup that will allow you to get away with not being in a calorie deficit while losing fat. So make sure you listen to this over and over if you are still on the fence because unfortunately it's the truth. And as much as I would like it to not be that way, it would be really cool to find a diet and you can just eat eat infinite amounts of food. There isn't. So the second takeaway is to make sure that uh, you have a very good reason why you want to do a ketogenic diet. Things like, oh, I thought it would be cool to try it just because it, you know, it sounds cool or a girlfriend told me about it or I heard about it at the gym or I read about it somewhere, those are not good reasons. Like we discussed, there is a certain transitional period which it's going to suck. Uh, You have to give up a ton of foods. Your diet will not be, or it can be pretty boring and repetitive. You will likely have to sacrifice some social events or, or be put into less than ideal social circumstances. 
which again are fine and can be justified if you have a very good reason to do so. But if you don't, I would just, you know, give it some thought because if you just want to lose some fat, um, there are other ways to do it and doesn't necessarily have to be the ketogenic diet, although it can be. And the third and final point is about the short-term utility versus long-term utility of something, not just diets, but in general of tools. So uh, like I discussed with Adam, I don't agree that if something isn't sustainable for years, then you shouldn't bother with it at all. I think there are lots of things that have short-term utility while not being very good um, long-term solutions. I mean, for example, in training, uh, if you do a six or eight week uh, specialization phase uh, with the goal of maxing out your strength for a powerlifting competition, is that a good long-term solution? Of course it's not. Is it a good short-term solution with a particular goal in mind? Absolutely. And the same goes for a diet as well. So ketogenic diet can be uh, used in the short term. Uh, carnivore diet can be used, although I wouldn't advise it, but hey, if you think it could help you, go for it. A high-carb, low-fat diet could be used. So it's not about the specific. Just try to understand the principle. Just because something isn't valuable long-term, short-term it can still be used uh, to your benefit. And those were my top three takeaways. And that was episode 27 of the Master Engineer Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next week, take care.